Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 384 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and her journey through life without children. Ah, now this is a unique episode, and I cannot wait to jump right into it. Just know that this terrific episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y Vitamins, especially the liposomal multivitamins. That means that those multivitamins have a little coating of lipids that allow those multiple vitamins to really enhance absorption as they go through your body. Um, So please learn more about the women's liposomal multivitamins by going to solaray.com. All right, my goodness gracious. Now, I'm going to be giving you uh, your first reminder to click on to iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show, especially this show, because this one's really, really going to hit home with so many women. I really look forward to hearing from you. So, hey, give me that feedback. I'll give you another reminder later on in the show. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about her. So today we're going to be talking about a subject that I consider to be absolutely key and critical to a woman's health journey. And that is to talk about childlessness, a woman's journey through life without children. Now, what's, wow, this is, this sounds kind of heavy. Like, what's this all about? When I was thinking about this topic, I did a lot of due diligence, and there was one name that constantly came up all the time, and that was Jody Day. And Jody is our guest today. And she is the author of Living the Life Unexpected How to Find Hope meaning, and a fulfilling future without children. Oh, I found that to be so compelling. And going through the book, it was just jaw-dropping for a lot of reasons. So who is Jody? Jody is a 58-year-old British founder of Gateway Women. Run on over to gateway-women.com, and that is the main website. This is a support and advocacy network for childless women. This was founded in 2011. And honestly, she is the author of this marvelous book, which honestly, I would say is the go-to book on the topic. She was chosen as one of BBC's 100 Women in 2013 and awarded the UK Digital Woman of the Year Um, second place in uh, 2021. She's a global thought leader on female involuntary childlessness. And she's also a psychotherapist, which certainly helps. And I absolutely loved watching her TEDx uh, presentation. So without further ado, Jody, welcome to the Her Podcast. Oh, Pam, it's so lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, honestly, I'm just, whoa, I I didn't know about this whole world of, you know, people talking about childlessness. And before we hop into your incredible book and your work, um, and by the way, I've watched countless YouTubes with you on it and your podcasts, um, so that I, I have a really rich understanding of an incredible journey that you've taken in your own life. No question about it. So what are the statistics? How many, I mean, what percentage of women, um, you know, have childlessness? Yeah, I mean, it's, it varies from country to country and also cohort to cohort, you know, the 10-year periods. I mean, for myself, born in the 1960s in the UK, for my cohort, it was actually one in four women were reaching midlife without having had children 
In the US, it's um, at the moment in the UK, it's one in five. In the US, it's currently one in six women is reaching midlife without children. Now, it was slightly higher for those born in the 60s, but the early indications are that it is going to get much higher. Now, it's really important to understand that those statistics are a little bit kind of blunt because they're women who haven't had a child, but that doesn't really give us a sense of why. And actually, there are, there are many women who choose not to have children and who may prefer to call themselves child-free rather than childless. But the numbers are only, it's estimated about 10% of those who are without children at midlife, you know, are child-free. 90% are childless. And of those, it's interesting, 10% of them will be childless due to infertility or other medical issues. But a whopping 80%, 80% will be childless by circumstance. And those circumstances vary enormously. Um, and, you know, I'd say probably the biggest one over the decade I've been doing this work, it's the one that I'm seeing more and more, is actually being single during your fertile or your potentially fertile years, not necessarily by choice either. That is going through the roof. Wow, that that absolutely blows my mind. Mm. I'm just sitting here making notes on the numbers. Mm. This is crazy. Wow. Isn't so, it strange yeah, we're so invisible when actually our numbers are so huge? I know. It's just, whoa. And then, you know, this whole issue of being single. When you say single, for mm. all intent and purposes, not being with a partner yes. who is either agreeable to um, having children or just not, you know, uh, not being with anyone to be able to partner yeah, with. Being, to un have being unpartnered during that time, absolutely. And you can also be something called childless by relationship, which is another big circumstance, which is that you might be with a partner who already has children or who doesn't want children. Um, or for many, many reasons, it's not a good idea for you to have children together. You know, that can be one of the circumstances. I mean, I wrote, um, it's in chapter, I think it's in chapter one of my book, and it's called 50 Ways Not to Be a Mother. It's so funny because in the very first self-published edition back in 2013, I called, I, I called it 50 Ways Not to Be a Mother, Apologies to Paul Simon. And then <laughs> when I had this, and then when it came out later, um, the editor at, uh, at Pam Macmillan, when it transitioned from being a self-published to a sort of um, a published book, it was like, "Who's Paul Simon?" And I thought, "Okay, <laughs> time All to right, let well, that. that that ended that. Um, uh, time to let that reference go." <laughs> <laughs> I know, but that was a list of fifty ways, and it could be a hundred ways. But people, if you're not impacted by this. You know, people tend to think that there are two, that the room called childlessness has two doors. Didn't want, couldn't have. But actually, most of our stories are in between those two things. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. You said something in, in, um, you, in one of your, uh, podcasts, your, your YouTube presentations, um, that really, uh, blew me away. And that was, you, you had a really rough childhood. Um, and I'm a psychotherapist. It's standard. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sort of like, you know, what, what else is new? But, um, but you had a really rough childhood. And at some point, you had said to yourself that um, you were not interested in having children because of the childhood trauma that you would never want to do that to a child. It, could you expand on that? Yes, I mean it's 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 not uncommon and also it wasn't a fully conscious thought. You know, it's something that arose in me as I was, you know, going through my childhood, you know, my my mum bless her, you know, was a fairly poorly mothered child herself and had me at 18. I was not a planned pregnancy. So she was really ill-equipped to be a parent. And um so I had a rotten time and I think I just, my, that really shaped my idea of what family was. And so as I was growing up, my goal was basically to kind of survive my family and get out. So the idea that, I think I had this idea that, that that's what family was. And so I never wanted to replicate that. And I think also I, I deep down, I was very scared 
that I would mother as I had been mothered. You know, I was too young to understand that that the fact that I was aware of that was already meant that I might do things differently. But, you know, a lot of this was very unconscious thought. But no, I was pretty, I was scared to be a mother. And I thought, it. you know, I didn't want, it wasn't my idea of what I wanted for my life. Wow. Um, I, it, it's, it, it's very interesting because I've spent a lot of um, time looking at trauma therapy, etc. And, you know, I've heard that from so many people who suffered with uh, childhood abuse um, at any level, it could just be neglect, it could be, you know, um, emotional abandonment, physical abandonment, physical abuse, it goes on and on. But um, people are terrified that they're that they're going to do that to their own kids. So they put their foot down and say, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather just not ever have to go through that. But um, regardless, um, wow. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that. Because I think that really needed to be said, um, which is so terribly important. This book um, also really uh, gave us, you know, it's so interesting. Your first sentence in the book is, this is a book about hope. What a beautiful way to start this out. You know, instead of just diving immediately into, you know, statistics and, and dire warnings and crazy stuff. Um, you just kind of went to the hope place. Why did you do that? I think it's interesting because that's the introduction to the second edition, which is 2020, which is in essence the third edition because it was self-published 2013. Then the first edition was 2016. My own journey has really evolved in that time. I mean, I later, for those who haven't heard my story before, I did change my mind later and really wanted to have children and then wasn't able to have children in my marriage. I think one of the really extraordinary things about coming to terms with childlessness is that it is a grieving process. And I didn't know that when I was struggling with it. And a lot of people discover that recovering from childlessness is a grieving process through my work. It's actually a form of grief called disenfranchised grief, which is a grief you're not allowed to experience, you're not allowed to talk about, and people tell you doesn't really exist. There are many other kinds. Childlessness is one of them. But the first part of grief the first is giving up hope. And when you're going through those final stages of your childless journey, your hoped, you're hoping to be a mother journey. If you, you people will say to you, "Don't give up hope; it'll happen to you." You know, I just know it's going to be there. Whatever the situation, people are very reluctant to let you give up hope. It's very scary, but actually, the very first stage of grief is giving up hope. You have to know it's it has to be irrevocably over for you. There has to be no other option. You know, you, you, the hope of motherhood has to be gone. And that is so painful. But what what is so scary is that our culture doesn't tell us that we will get through this, that with support, with understanding, with compassion, with time, with love, we will come through. And also with the help of grief, because grief is an emotion which is there to help us process an irrevocable loss. It's there for a very powerful reason. So there is a new kind of hope waiting for you. You know, the hope of a different kind of life. But you don't know that life yet. You don't even want that life yet. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, want, I want the life I wanted. So it's really important to me to, I guess, to give women hope that they're not always going to feel completely heartbroken, destroyed and on the floor about their childlessness. Because childlessness isn't just about not having a child. It's about really, really a major wound to your identity as a woman, a major wound to your standing in the culture and amongst other women. And not only are you not going to have a baby, you're not going to have your own family. You're not going to have cousins for your siblings. You're not going to give your parents, your grandchildren. You're not going to give your potential partner or the partner you hope to have. You know, there's so many things. You're not going to be a grandmother. You're not going to have ancestors. It is the most enormous 
personal, social, identity, and existential loss. This stuff, it's it's a big one to get through. And, and you know, that's why I brought up that word hope, because it had to be reframed for this kind of an experience. So, you know, you, you, uh, you say welcome to your tribe um, at the end of that, that whole section. Um, and then you start looking specifically about, you know, how are you currently dealing with this whole world of there are people with children and there are people without children. So for instance, you know, you're hanging out with, um, you know, a group of people and you know what happens. Eventually it all devolves into, hey, you know, my child did this or, you know, my grandchild did that and, and back and forth and out come the pictures and out come all the rest of it. Well, what is a woman who is childless? What is she supposed to do? Well, if she hasn't already disappeared to the bathroom to cry or faked an appointment that she has to leave for, um, you know, she's probably going to be, depending on where she is on her kind of, on her journey of healing from her childlessness, she's either going to be frozen to the spot thinking, you know, when are they going to start asking me, you know, oh, you know, where are yours? How many kids have you got? You know, or she's just going to be faking interest whilst inside dying. Or, you know, if she's in a stage where, you know, where I'm at, which is I'm completely at peace with my childlessness, you know, it's no, I know lo- it's no longer really a, a wound for me. You know, I might be interested, but only for a bit. Because one of, one of the things that's really interesting about the behavior of women around sort of sharing and bonding over children is that if it were any other topic and you had a group of women together, and let's say they all worked for the same company or they'd all been to the same holiday resort and they're all kind of, you know, banging on about things that happened and people and funny stories. And after a few minutes, they'd look around and they'd go, oh, we're being such bores. Jodie doesn't work with us or Jodie wasn't at that event. And they would sort of realize that you were left out and they would they, they would quite try and include you again. But it doesn't happen with this 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 motherhood story. It's relentless. It doesn't stop. And the childless woman is just left, just left there, like, you know, what am I, chopped liver? It's like suddenly I don't have anything to say. And I, if I do try to say something, they go, oh, yeah, but you wouldn't understand. You know, it's so alienating and um, incredibly impolite. <laughs> it's it's almost like we need to ramp up, you know, our sensitivity about the people around us when we're in groups or whatever else. And I think it behooves people to not just immediately plunge into, you know, the whole, you know, here are my kids and all the rest of it thing, when you really are not being sensitive to the fact that maybe of the six people there, three don't have children. Yeah, read the room, people, read the room. It's just just a little bit more thoughtful that, you know, being being a mum isn't a universal experience. I mean, and some women there may be at that very moment, you know, mourning their childlessness. They may have just had a miscarriage. They're, you know, they're, who, all kinds of things are going on in people's lives that it's not necessary, that they can't necessarily speak about in that moment. And, you know, motherhood has, has become glorified as a status symbol as well for women in a way that when I was growing up, it simply, there was nothing cool about being a mum then. And now it's, 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 you know, it is, I don't know, a status marker um, in a way that is very alienating. And I want to say, by the way, this isn't all mothers. There are some incredibly sensitive women out there who kind of are aware perhaps of their friend's stories or are aware that there is a woman in the group right now who isn't joining in and they might try and steer the conversation away from it. Um, and I would say if you are, if you're listening and you're one of those and you are a childless ally, thank you so much. You know, it's, it's just a, a level of awareness that we really need to raise in the culture. There are so many ways we can other each other. I think as a culture, we are becoming more sensitive to that. But pronatalism, which is the ideology that underpins this blindness, we're really slow on catching on to this one. 
Yeah, yeah. I I remember the first time I heard you actually say the word pronatalism. I had never heard that before, and I I kind of get where that's coming from. Clearly, um, it's it's kind of the the typical narrative, which is you know um, you are fulfilled if you do have children, all the rest of it. I think there's also a lot of presumptions about you know why you are childless. You know, uh, some people kind of in a glib way will say, oh, all that extra time, you don't have to deal with the kid things and all the rest of it, as though you knew their story, you know, which is, you know, maybe extremely hurtful, insulting, um, offensive, strange, you know, none of it really, you know, hits home and connects appropriately. So I think that, um, you know, if anything, you know, people who are listening to this podcast will understand that we now need to ramp up a higher level of, of acknowledgement and enlightenment and sensitivity um, around this whole issue, especially given the, the large number um, of, uh, of women out there, uh, globally, quite frankly, who are experiencing all of this, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And pronatalism also gives a lie to the experience of motherhood. You know, it makes out that motherhood is going to be the easiest, most natural, most fulfilling experience for every woman. Um, and, you know, it can come as a real shock, you know, when women do have children, you know, what it's really like. And we do get to hear about those things. You know, you do, you know, type in problems to do with parenting and you break the internet. But this, the, what it's like to be childless and also to be child-free, to choose not to have children, is still very, very, you know, hidden. I mean, in your intro, when you said sort of all roads led back to Jodie and Gateway Women, I mean, that's extraordinary. I mean, when I started writing my blog 11 years ago, I mean, it was as if no one else had ever spoken about it. Um, you know, there were a couple of really lovely um, childless after failed infertility treatment bloggers who were very welcoming to me. And there were some child-free bloggers. But actually, the internet, Dr. Google, the bookshelves, it was all very quiet about childlessness. This is a conversation that its time has really come because also the generation coming up behind us um, you know, the, the youngsters in their, you know, Gen Z, you know, they are so much more switched on to this. And I think many more of them will be choosing not to have children because of climate breakdown um, and also other systemic reasons that are making becoming a parent incredibly complex. So I think we are we are blazing a trail and we are opening the conversation. And I really encourage, you know, everyone listening to this also if you, you know, maybe watch my TED talk because I talk about the bingos in that, you know, oh, you know, you're so lucky you didn't have kids. Why don't you have one of mine? You know, and, <laughs> and think, you know, the, the things that people say is you say, you're so lucky you get to sleep in and travel. Um, I mean, I, I always think, well, number one, I'm menopausal, I have insomnia. And number two, last time I traveled, it didn't seem to be putting many families off. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Seriously. A absolutely. No question about that. So you're, you're so correct. Uh, you know, this also brings to bear, and I happen to know that you're going to be, you know, working um, within this um, field, but as women um, age, right? So you know, there's this, there's this whole uh, narrative that basically says, you know, as, you know, I was your mother, I took care of you all those years. Now, you know, you take care of me as, you know, I get older and I may need you. Um, I mean, obviously, this may not even happen until super later, you know, in a woman's life. But still, um, so if a woman is childless, how does she plan for, um, you know, caregiving, as it were, um, if she doesn't have the children and grandchildren uh, to depend upon? Well, it's, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> um, and there's a great book, actually, it's called Who's Going to Take Care of Me When I'm Old, um, by Joy Laverde, who is an American author. That is brilliant. And one of the things I love about that book also is it doesn't presume that everyone reading it has or had a partner. 
um, and and has you know has a home or has significant financial reserves, you know, because particularly single older women are often the most economically disadvantaged in our cultures. Um, so it, it's there are you know it's not all just about throwing money at it. You know, sometimes there's no money to throw at it. You've got to get really creative. I'd say the number one most important thing is community, is actually finding your community, finding your community online and then finding your community locally. And that's something that, you know, I've done with Gateway Women. And as I'm 58 and I'm moving into those years myself, you know, I'm really interested, you know, to help other women plan for that to, I mean, one of the things is, how do you want, just a question, what do you want your childless elderhood to look like? What kind of childless elder woman do you want to be? And to actually start planning for that, taking decisions now that bring you closer to that. You know, when we were adolescents, people would say to us, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, there was this sense you were planning for something that you were looking forward to. And you were you were pointing yourself in that direction. I mean, whether you got there or not, who knows? You know, life is, you know, life is a twisty, turny road. But a lot of us aren't actually thinking and planning about what we want. We're just closing our eyes and hoping for the best. Because it's really, really hard to think about elderhood. And for childless women, you have this unholy trifecta of pronatalism, ageism, and sexism that come together as you get old. It's no wonder most of us, you know, I mean, 50% of British people and American people don't even have a will. That's how, that's how much in denial they are that they're going to get old. Um, so I really, really hope to sort of, uh, you know, to chain, to bust some taboos on this. Chapter 12 of my book is all about that. And it's a conversation we need to have because I think just as the, as the baby boomers have changed everything they've gone through, I think they are transforming ageism, aging. And there are so many ways we can do this differently, but it's not going to happen if we don't think about it and we don't make it happen. And we are an extraordinary generation. You know, we can, Absolutely. We can do things. Right. And, and this really, you know, again, goes back to this whole issue of ageism too, which is, you know, I mean... I was struck by what you said about how many people actually have wills and all the rest of it. And actually, the best way to go is, is really not a will, it's a trust, um, because then all of your assets are, are you know, protected. But, um, you know, it's the way we deal with older people, male or female, quite frankly. Um, and then with women, you know, with a, with a guy, we kind of give him a pass if he ever if he never married, if he never had kids, you know, we give him a pass. But with a woman, it's like, was there something wrong? Something wrong with you? Is there, you know, we, we go a little bit deeper and get a little muddier, you know, on something like that. But again, um, it's it's so terribly important um, for us to really open up the communication channels and start having these important discussions because by doing so you destigmify them well, you know that's you, you what get my work rid is, of it. you know that's what my work has done extraordinarily you know in many ways people say it has changed the conversation around childlessness and one of the ways is you know I am a writer I'm a communicator one of the things I found is that I've actually had to invent words. I've had to find ways to describe things because there, there seemed to be no way to describe my experience. And if there is no way to describe it and communicate it with others, then it's very hard to kind of understand your own experience. You know, language creates meaning as well. And one of the things around ageism is I realize that there isn't a single word in the English language for an older woman other than grandmother, that isn't an insult. Every oh, single other word is an insult. Ha! Huh. You know, so I'm and reclaiming crone. Um, I've uh, I run these things on each solstice and equinox called the Fireside Wisdom with childless elder women, where I bring together an extraordinary group of older childless women and some child free from around the world, and we gather on Zoom. They're free to attend, and we discuss a different topic, you know, each time, and they are so well received because actually we are hungry for 
these role models of older women without children so that we can bust the stereotypes of what they're really like, that they're going to be, you know, these sad, crazy old cat ladies. And it's like, number one, when people used to say to me, you know, you're becoming a crazy old cat lady, I would say, that's really interesting because if I was a mum and I had cats, they'd be family pets. So what is it about it that makes me a crazy cat lady? It's not about the cats. It's about my childlessness. It's it's a kind of casual way to, to actually be insulting to me about my childlessness. So personally, I don't think the crazy cat lady thing is, I don't, uh, inverted commas for radio, not a joke. But so I want mm. to reclaim crone, um, hag, witch. I'm aiming for witch myself. Let me think, what's a witch? So older, powerful, wise, magical, knowledgeable. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And, and it, it's, oh, yeah. Okay. I get it. And, um, I, yeah, I have to get on my high horse for one second. If really, honestly, calling the, you know, the years from 50 on, certainly only the word menopause instead of actually using empowering words makes me crazy. How about you? Yeah, I'm language is really imp- really really important. So, I'm definitely going to be reinventing language for for my older years. I mean, I've started calling myself, you know, I call myself an apprentice crone. I don't feel I can really claim cronehood until I'm 60, which is a couple of years away. But people say, "How can you say the word crone?" And I said, "Well, it didn't used to be an insult." It comes from, you know, the god the the Greek god Kronos, the god of time just means old. And it also used to mean the crowned one. And it's, you know, you're crowned with age. You know, it was it was a term of respect. So, you know, patriarchy and many other things have made being an old woman something to be ashamed of. Um, and I'd rather they were scared of us than, than shaming us. Yes, yes. And <laughs> I know I would, well, you know, certainly if not fearful, um, you know, incredibly blown away and respectful, um, which is, you know, super important. Well, when you start um, to look at role models of women in their 60s and beyond, uh, not necessarily childless ones, just older women, we are doing extraordinary things. We do not look like or behave like the images in our mind of what women that age are like. We have to bust the stereotypes and we have to bust these cultural narratives that that's what older women are like, because we're not. We have, you know, many of us have health and vitality at that time in our life, which is completely new. We haven't seen so many old women in good health, mentally and physically before, ever in human history. We are extraordinary. And what's happening is that you're now getting more and more women who are fairly highly educated, you know, relatively speaking, who are now, you know, coming through the ranks and, you know, they're going to demand more answers, more respect, um, a new narrative, uh, and they're coming up as leaders. Um, And you mentioned that, you know, there are reasons each of us need to show up in the world. And the very first one was, we are leaders. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an important thing to see how many women out there went on to uh, do amazing and great things, but never had children also as well for a whole host of reasons. Absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I have, I've got a role model gallery that you can find through my website, which is, you know, over 800 women of, you know, uh, all historical and modern, um, all kinds of sort of different experiences who are just united by being women who didn't have children. And, you know, women look at that role model gallery and they're like, what, her as well? But I really like her. And it's like as if, yeah, childless and child-free women can be extraordinary and admirable and cool. And they can also be absolutely ordinary and wonderful too. It's, I think there can be sometimes this subtle pressure that comes from pronatalism, that if you don't have kids, you have to do something extraordinary with your life to kind of make up for it. No, you don't. Just, you know, you, you, you were born childless and worthy. 
You remain childless and worthy. You don't have to prove your existence. And quite frankly, one Oprah is enough. We're we're fine. (laughs) Well, yeah, I know. See, I I was going to say Oprah um, and and, and kind of smiled at that, um, to be perfectly blunt with you. Uh, I mean, she had her own traumas as a kid. Yeah, she had her own complex reasons about why, you know, she had a child, she lost a child, she decided not to to do it again. Yeah, but you know what I remember, Jody? Mm. Um, Back when she was actually like in like 40-ish, you know, like um, maybe in her late 30s or something like that, I remember... When the newspaper headlines, magazines, and whatever would say, um, you know, the, the clock is ticking, Oprah. You haven't got much more time. I'm like, first of all, why are you getting in her life? What she does with her life is her own gig. And what are you actually saying here? That will she lose any value in the world if she doesn't have, you know, children? Well, what it's... What is all this clamor here? Um, it's the maybe status. it's well-meaning or otherwise. It's the it's you're not a real woman unless you've had a child. You know you are in some way a failed project as a female body. You know you're you're not going to be a grandmother. You're not going to be a real woman. You're not going to be part of the community mm. of mothers. In some way, you're a little bit suspect. I think because women without children, once they are no longer grieving their childlessness, or if they're child-free, perhaps they never did. We're really powerful because actually one of the reasons that, you know, that, that mostly men are in charge of, of countries and organizations and things like that is perhaps not because they are better equipped to do so, but because they've had the time to develop those skills and talents because they haven't been bringing up children, because their partners, if they have them, have been bringing up those children. So if you imagine we have a, a huge number of women now who don't have children, who, if they are interested and have the possibility and the access to develop themselves in those ways, can rise to positions of prominence and power. So childless and child-free women, are we're a bit of a loose cannon as far as the patriarchy is concerned. So we need to be shamed to get back in our box. Hmm. That's very, very deep. And that issue of shame is something... Where does that come from, Jody? Well, shame kind of has two functions. Um, the first is a really important function, what Freud would have called the superego. It's part of our conscience. It's the kind of uh, the boundary of our values. So when we know we're either just about to do something that is against our values or against our culture's values, or we've done it, that's shame. You know, it's a very powerful tool of personal and social control. However, when a society says, this is shameful, this way of behaving is shameful, you will not be allowed to be part of our group. Think about our tribal history. Think about the deep evolution of the human species. We, you know, we didn't get to be the most dominant species on the planet because we have the biggest claws or we can run faster. It's because we work together in cooperative groups. If you get thrown out of your group, you don't survive. So shame has evolved to go, these are our group rules. You do not break these group rules or you're out. And one of the group rules is women must have children, you know, because it grows the tribe. That's what pronatalism is for. We need lots more for our tribe so that we can be powerful, so that we can survive. So it goes very, very deep uh, where the shame comes from. But it doesn't match. It doesn't match our modern world. It doesn't match our overpopulated world. It doesn't match our world that is struggling to resource the humans that are currently on this planet. I mean, we are heading into, in all developed countries, a period of actual population decline. Um, And, you know, there's going to be huge amount of hand wringing about that because then there are less young taxpayers um, to, you know, to pay for the care of older people and also to buy products. Well, I actually, um, Japan has already is already experiencing this in a big way. Very, very much so. Huge absolutely. decline in fertility yes. and having kids um, in general um, for a multitude of reasons because young women are choosing, just like the Gen Gen Z types here in the um, United States, um, 
you know, they're, they're, they're putting their foot down saying, no, there's got to be another way to live and, um, you know, convince me that I really need to be a mother. You know what it really is doing? It's really quite fascinating. It's, it's having us, what you're doing, Jody, you got the ball rolling here in a big way, um, is it's having us all, um, if we're thoughtful, um, step back a pace or two and stop, hit the pause button and say, well, wait a minute, let's, let's just look at what this whole issue of having children um, and women, um, you know, that, that kind of combination, what does that mean? Are, are we inferring value to someone because they, you know, did become a mother and all the rest? And by the way, there's so many assumptions you know, there are assumptions that, well, I have three children and they love me and, you know, and this is all good and, and back and forth. And they'll always be there for me. What if they aren't? What if they're just jerks or something? You know, I mean, whoever said that, you know, the kids were going to be 100% right there for you at all times, caregiving, all the rest of it. You know, a lot of that's cultural. Um, and so th there are all these crazy stereotypes types and assumptions floating around, I, I think it's really important to just sit back and, and think about this again and, and really look at it within the context of the world we live in today. Absolutely. And make space for ambivalence, for really developing a possibility of thinking these things through without getting shut down. You know, this is something that Gen Z are doing. It's like, we don't want to just say, yes, I do, or no, I don't want children. We want to talk about what this means and what it means to me and what my experience is that I see around me and what contribution I want to make to the world. You know, the world is in trouble is really the best contribution I can make to have a child. I mean, something Rebecca Solnit said, I mean, she's child-free by choice. She's an amazing writer and she's always gets questioned about it, you know, when she does public events, you know, why, why did you choose not to have children? And one day she said something and I paraphrase something like, there are so many other things that love needs to do in this world. Ooh. And I just love that because, you know, there are, you know, there are plenty, everything need. there's so many things that we need to do. And um, I think becoming a mum can be an amazing experience. It can be an awful experience. I think mothers in our cultures aren't given enough support, you know, real hands-on practical support to help with the tasks of parenthood. It's extremely isolating and difficult for a lot of mothers who, who don't realise how much they're going to be left on their own with it. But we need to also include the whole range of female experience. We need to include well, what kind of different support might someone need if they don't have children as they age? You know, and how can we start to factor that into our communities, our tax, our zoning, our property, all our things right through the course of someone's life? Because at the moment, I think the way older people without children are treated is as if, well, Yabu sucks, your fault. You know, as if, wow, I'm so I'm an I'm an old person. I have no children, and and I'm just I'm on the scrap heap because of that. I've paid taxes all my life. Maybe I've been a teacher. Maybe I've educated thousands of other people's children. I don't know. Maybe I've done something a work that's had nothing to do with children. But I am a human being of value who has contributed to this culture. What gives people the right to see to suddenly give me no value? I know. And, and speaking of value, I love the way you said this. Childlessness is not all of your story or the end of your story. It is the start of a new way of life, the life unexpected. As I hope this book has shown, there are as many ways to have a meaningful and fulfilling life without children as there are childless women what yours looks like will be unique to you, just as your experience of motherhood would have been an equally of value. And I, I just think that, you know, you, you just said it so beautifully, that whole issue of value, you know. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, 
when when we look at Gen Z and the rest of it, they are in the process of redefining the workplace, for instance. They're the ones saying, I'm not interested in working at the same place for 50 years and walking away with a gold watch. It's not happening. They're changing up the entire paradigm. You'll be happy to hold on to a Gen Z for a year because off they go to the next, you know, blingy job. Um, and they're, they're building and doing whatever they wish um, in their own way. They're redefining it because, quite frankly, they see that what they're surrounded with is is not particularly great. and They, they want don't want to be us. Yeah, uh, in, in, many, in many respects. And that even includes things like nutrition and, and physical activity and all of this. I mean, it's just really fascinating watching this this I'm excited. Generation. Yeah, I'm excited. I have, you know, young people in my life and and young people that I meet and I I I find conversations with them fill me with a great deal of hope um you know for the generations to come. And I'm an advisor to an uh, an American organization called the New Legacy Institute which is really looking at um how do we create institutional and policy change including in the workplace to recognize non-parents, which is a great term because it's not about being childless or child-free, non-parents. You know, how, because I think those, those Gen Z people coming into the workplace are going to look at the different way that women and men with and without children are treated in the workplace and go, uh-uh, not having it. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're asking questions. How wonderful is that? And they're opening up discussions just fearlessly. And, and they're, and the, the questions many times just absolutely rip down stereotypes. They're challenging assumptions. Exactly. I love that. I know. And and so the heck are you. You know, I could talk to you, <laughs> Jody. I seriously, I could talk to you forever. So, you know, unfortunately, here we are wrapping it up. What I need you to do is leave our her podcast audience with another you know, bit of wisdom that you can impart um, so that if a woman, w- women who are listening right now are all over the place. Some of them are considering having a child, yes or no. Um, there are some who are mothers saying, oh my gosh, I'm so insensitive, I didn't realize. And there are others who are by circumstance or by choice um, childless. And so as we're talking to this whole crowd, what would you say? Another beautiful, you know, bit of wisdom. Okay, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I love doing that. Yeah. Um, I think if if you are someone who is coming to terms with unchosen childlessness, I want you to know that you're not alone, that there you have sisters all over the world that you can meet, you can find, you are not, you may feel like you're on your own but you are part of one in five and one in six. You are part of a rising number of women and you need to find each other. So really, I'd say connection and community, really important. If you're someone who is really struggling with the whole idea about whether to be a parent or not, that's called ambivalence. I would Google ambivalence, you know, motherhood ambivalence. It's a really important topic because it's often shamed There's this idea that if you're wondering about it, you're not a real mother, you're not a real woman, that you sort of should just naturally know. But I think questioning whether motherhood is right for you or not is really psychologically smart and important. And actually, a lot of people who do become mothers do sometimes wish that they had thought about it more and that it had been possible to talk about, is this going to be right for me or not? And if you are a parent and you face someone who doesn't have children for whatever reason, because the fact is you never know their full story. And I would say whatever your first thought is that comes to mind when someone tells you that they don't have children, whatever that first thought is, Jodie's advice, take a breath. Just don't say that first thing that comes into your head because that is pronatalism. You know, if it's a child-free person, don't say to them, Oh, so really, uh, how could you do that to your parents? If it's a childless person, don't say, you know, oh, you couldn't have children. Why didn't you adopt? Whatever the thought is that comes to your mind, take a breath. 
<laughs> I love it. Just take a breath just and a breath. honestly just be extremely thoughtful about yes. this entire topic instead of racing to stereotypes and and back and forth. Just I'm say, trying Whoa. to fix them. They they've done they know what they're doing with their life. They're doing their best, just as we all are. And and just respect them and try mm -hmm. not to, you know, hold back on I can fix that. There's still hope for, you know, all this craziness that goes on. Everyone, we have just absolutely had the most amazing episode on Childless, A Woman's Journey Through Life Without Children. And this is with Jody Day, who literally is a global leader um, in this entire sector and has written a book that is absolutely amazing. It's called Living the Life Unexpected, How to Find Hope, Meaning, and a Fulfilling Future Without Children. Please go to her website, gateway-women.com, and there you can, you know, uh, sign up um, to be part of her community and listen to her podcast, learn about the extensive work that she's done, and realize you do have a community. You have someone out there to be able to relate to, to share with, Oh my gosh. And then we're going to be looking forward to the wonderful work you're going to be doing upcoming with Gateway Elder Women, um, yes. which is a project you're doing, right? Absolutely. It's um, something I'm really excited about. And that'll be the next 10 years of my work. Okay. Well, guess what? We're just going to keep hanging out with you and, and squeeze <laughs> everything we can out of you, Jody. I mean, what can I say? I mean, this is just so amazing. I, I know that um, so many people really wanted to hear this episode because, as you said, nobody's saying a word. All I can say, here's my word, thank you. And thank you, Jody, for being on the Herb podcast today. And if you don't mind, we're going to tap into you uh, for future episodes as well. You game? I'm absolutely up for it, Pam, totally. Been a great okay. to be a, your guest. Awesome. Okay, now everyone, <laughs> please run on over to iTunes and rate and review the show. I, I really, really want to hear what you have to say about this particular episode, which was so special and so unique. All right, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. So follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD or any of the large platforms out there. Thanks for listening today. Please stay safe and stay well. <music>